Money, as they say, is the root of all evil. This saying is especially poignant now, as central banking institutions and the fractional reserve system are wreaking havoc on the global economy. Bitcoin as an alternative to the fiat system might be a legitimate escape hatch. In this podcast, I sit down with brilliant individuals who think critically about the world and who recognize this technology's possible implications. All right, welcome to the Bitcoin versus the Banks podcast. I'm your host, Milan Stanojevic, and I'm joined by a guest who can actually pronounce my name correctly, so I appreciate that. Uh, he's an author of a very uh, amazing book called The Price of Tomorrow, and his name is Jeff Booth. How are you, Jeff? Great, Milan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it, honestly, it's a pleasure. I, I've had a chance to speak to some really cool people. Uh, some of your buddies, actually, I had Greg Foss on the show recently, James Lavish. Um, you, you know, I put it out on Twitter yesterday, just how amazing this community actually is. You know, I, I reached out to people um, really through Twitter, and it, it's just incredible how many folks will get back to you, want to share their knowledge, their experiences, uh, do it on an interview like this, and yet don't expect anything in return. So um, the fact that this sort of community exists is incredible. And it, honestly, it, it kind of like kind of touches you in ways. And it, it you know, I, we always say Bitcoin is hope. And I, I feel like that sort of transcends into the group itself. So um, obviously that applies to you too. So thank you again for being here. Uh, thanks. Um, so I imagine some of our audience here um, is familiar with you, but for those of you that don't know who Jeff Booth is, can you give us a little rundown? Just that. Um, uh, easy. Just an entrepreneur, always been an entrepreneur, kind of thinking potentially differently. How to use technology to to create something that's better. Um, and so, uh, and then I kind of that path led me to thinking about why, why generally prices weren't falling because technology was embedded in everything which led me to write a book called The Price of Tomorrow, which laid out the case for what's happening in a transition between the economic system that we are in, or most people are measuring the world by, to the economic system we're moving to, and what that would look like. Awesome. I did find that your book helped me in many ways. Um, I actually read it more than once. First time I was a little bit confused and, and has nothing to do with your writing. That's just me probably losing myself in the weeds. In fact, I find your book is actually really well written. It's concise and it isn't a hard text to get through. Like, um, you know, one of the books in the space that people often recommend is The Sovereign Individual. Great book, but so dense. And it, for me, very sluggish to get through. Whereas with yours, for me, the, I think the harder thing was really just wrapping my head around what deflation is. Um, I, I think in part because people just don't talk about it. You know, we hear the word inflation. Deflation is sort of this like alien foreign concept to us. Um, but honestly helped me very much in understanding sort of like where we're headed and like how it is that we can possibly work through this thing. Um, so in your own words, like how would you define the word deflation? Well, it's the, I'm going to first kind of deal with why, why the first time on the read might've been hard for you and kind of the second or third time it, it started to dawn on on you and that's by the way that's pretty typical for most people i was on a peter mccormick podcast recently where I, where we were talking and he said this is the first time in four interviews with you and reading your book multiple times that it finally really clicked what you're talking about and 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 why that is is because i'm looking from a different paradigm than the rest of the world is looking through. I'm looking from a new paradigm and what could could uh, be. And, and when you've been conditioned your whole life to believe in something, unwinding that conditioning in your mind um, is really hard. We want to reinforce our own beliefs. We look for areas, we look for other confirmational areas that reconfirm what we believe in. So if you believe that inflation is required for a productive economy, and you've been taught it through school and you've been taught 2% inflation is the right number, it's really rare for you to ever question why that might be completely untrue and just an arbitrary thing that people just made up to, to, to allow for a system to continue. So what is deflation? Quite simply, general prices coming down. Why would and, and you'd have to ask yourself, why would that be a bad thing for society? 
because right. that's what that's what technology does. We have technology. We, we that's what the free market does. We try to find things to be able to fix and bring people more values, value. And when they use those things that entrepreneurs create more value for, prices should fall naturally as a result. And when you automate those things and you put them on technology rails that are moving exponentially, then those things should be bringing down price declines everywhere across all prices. But we measure from a system, from inflation. So we see we see things like we think televisions are coming down and we buy, buy, we buy a television and it gets better, bigger, more picture clarity every year. And we don't defer that purchase. Our phone every year, we get, uh, it gets, we provides us more service. We don't defer that. Nobody says I'm going to wait until three years from now to get the new phone, right? They buy it when they need it. And so we see things, some of the things falling in price and other things rising. And we can't understand that all things are supposed to fall in price. Energy is supposed to fall in price. Houses are supposed to fall in price as prices fall to the marginal cost of production. And in economics, it's well known that prices fall to the marginal cost of production. We also know that we have exponentially increasing productivity through technology. So if you just take one and two together, then and and on a first principles basis, what that would that would mean, what it would categorically mean is prices should be falling exponentially to society. And it what it would should mean is you should be able to work less each year and get more. That's what it should look like. But but we live in a system that uh, the credit based system cannot allow that deflation to happen. So we've been conditioned um, and scared that deflation is a bad thing. We look back to the to the 1930s and we say it's deflation that is the bad thing. It's a deflation that, that and without realizing what the cause of the, the, the Great Depression was a credit bubble that couldn't be repaid that had to be reset. And that's what caused the deflation. And what people think is there's a parlor trick that you can keep on manipulating money to defer that forever. And you can't. And so eventually that comes to, to, to bear and governments are kind of left on a hook of changing the monetary supply forever at an ever increasing rate to try to kick that can down the road, which only makes the problem bigger. Um, and, 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 and let's go into why. Because today there's $400 trillion of insolvent debt in the world. When I wrote my book, there was $250 trillion of insolvent debt. And so, so that was only four and a half years ago for, uh, when, when I wrote the book and those numbers came from maybe looking, looking back one year. So let's call it five years ago for those numbers. Now there's, now there's $400 trillion of insolvent debt. And so, and why... What, why is that happening? It's because you have an exponential pattern trying to reduce prices against an exponential uh, against less and less things being able to be pushed up in price. Um, so so and, and use this zoom we're on right now, which is free or almost free if you pay for a service and use uh, uh, that before we would have had to fly to each other and pay money into the economy. And to to set up a studio, and then advertise your show to everybody to be able to see. Now this show can touch millions of people, uh, just by and all of that content, all of that is extra ideas are spread broadly, that explode on the market and they're free and prices fall as a result. Where are the taxes? Where is the revenue created from that to pay back the debt that's already insolvent? And so there's less and less things all the time. And so what you have to do is to, to resort to monetary, essentially tricks that change the denominator of money to be able to pretend that that can be repaid. And that and that monetary easing has massive consequences to society. It divides society because if you have the assets, say housing, uh, it doesn't fall as much as the real value of your money. So, so inflation is wage deflation. It's the same. It's the same thing. So, what it means is, is anybody who is, we'll get it to Bitcoin later. 
but anybody who is measuring their system, they're measuring the system from the system, whether you have wages, investments, anything in that system is losing money at us at some rate to be able to pay for $400 trillion of insolvent debt. And, and your choice, how much time you have in the system, if it's all in wages, if it's all in savings, if it's all in cash, then essentially you're choosing to pay back $400 trillion of insolvent debt. You're spending wow. more of your time do, doing that. And so, so what you see is people working harder and harder and falling further and further behind and getting madder and madder and voting for governments that divide you by saying, it's those people's fault and it's those people's fault and all of it all of the people all of the nonsense is is just a mathematical <laughs> constant in the that the money has to be manipulated to keep the debt solvent and so they'll have so so anybody in that system will have you believe that inflation is required for a productive economy um instead and and it isn't it's nobody's ever nobody asks the question why is theft and money required for a productive economy? It's ludicrous, but it's but it is required for a credit-based economy or a debt-based economy. Because if you allow that inflation rate to st stop and move into deflation, the debt resets. So who has the debt? If the governments have the debt and the big corporations have the debt, they, then that gets reset. Why do you think it's it it it? it it continues to be manipulated and bailed out. That's why it looks like that. One of the questions I had for Greg Foss was actually, do you believe that you know um, inflation is necessary for a growing economy? And uh, at first he was going to say no. And then he said, well, in the system that we're currently under, it, it absolutely is a necessity, which makes sense. And that totally falls in line with everything you just said. Um, one of the things uh, that you mentioned, I just wanted to touch on, you said inflation is deflation in wages correct yeah inflation is deflation in wages it's a uh, it's it's uh it's the opposite side of the coin and just to clarify so does that mean uh, like what so your, your real is... your real wages are going down a four thousand um in in 1933 at the height of the great depression a four thousand dollar wage was in the u.s was an average wage in in the u.s that average wage today in the u.s would have to be ninety five thousand u.s to be inflation adjusted to that. The average wage in the, in the US is not 95K. So in other words, at the worst time in history, in the worst time in, in, in kind of what everybody's worried about in Great Depression, your wages are not, most people's wages haven't kept up to, to the worst time. Right, absolutely. And it's, it's the retirees that are, I think, particularly worried about this, or at least they should be because they're not going to be earning any more money yet, you know, costs are get going up. They're going to continue to go up. And as you said, this is an exponential thing. So I, I think I actually mentioned on the show, like my mother's retired and it's her that I worry about the most at this point. Yes. I worry about what the future looks like for myself and for my kids. My hope, you know, and my prediction, if you will, is that the Bitcoin I own is sort of my protection, my lifeboat moving forward. But even my mother who is stacking some stats, um, you know, she, she hasn't purchased that much. And, and I do worry about it because she doesn't have that much money saved up and um, things are only going to get tougher. Yeah. And if, um, you think if you think it's bad now, the pensions are mostly insolvent too. Um, and so I'm, when I'm talking about the debt, I'm not talking about the unfunded liabilities and the entitlement spending that people rely on for their livelihood. And so when those get reset along with everything else, whether it's in real term, in real terms, they're worth less, and people are, are are their costs are going up way faster than their wages or their pension or, or the pensions. That's what I'm talking about. And when people hit that point, it's easier to believe in a person than a system problem. It's easier to believe some radical person says it's that person's fault, and you'll elect that person. But if that, it, it, just imagine a general electorate that you 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 said. Hey, I have a great idea. Next year, your your income is going to come down, but go up in real terms. In other words, your purchasing power is going to be more. You'd, nobody would vote for that person. They'd think they're they're, they're lunatic. And so we Sounds would weird. exactly. So we would not vote for the thing that's true 
we would vote for the thing that for the system that's lying to us by manipulating our real wages and, and savings. And so when you when you realize that, you realize how much the system bias and everybody in the system are reinforcing the system and yelling at each other within the system to say, my idea is better than your idea and everything else. And it just all can't, it's just, it, it can't be solved. That system, that parallel system that is Bitcoin is repricing that entire system. Do you think that the heads of state, people that are you know higher up in power, like are, are they aware of this or are we all sort of disillusioned? So I would I would categorically say no. Um, are some aware of how bad, bad but it, uh, it is yes. But but they because I know many of these people and 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 friends and it is as hard for them to understand as it is you first time you read my book they, because they've lived their, their their success inside the system relies on the existing system and they, it's really hard to question your beliefs especially if your beliefs got you to where you where you are in that system today it's easier to say well there's no other choice i have to do this to help those other people who are less fortunate it's easier to believe that than to real, realize i'm living in a system with a lie and so whether they know it or not or or or, or don't want to investigate uh, uh, the truth for the truth's sake. It's still true that, but but most, I would say, it's not in 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 the Bitcoin um, community. What you'll find is, as soon as you understand this at a depth, you believe everybody else understands it. Right. And and just think about this: like when you talk to friends, they are so far away from understanding it. And when you start start to, then that same misunderstanding goes up to the highest levels uh, of of governance. And it's because if you just think any company is made up of people, any government is made up of people. It's just people, and and with different incentives. Um, and it's easier to believe what you want to what what reinforces your belief set than it, than not. Same reason. Same reason you said my book was hard the first time. And I think that's why. I think that's why I get excited whenever I get a chance to talk to a fellow Bitcoiner, because if I'm talking to just a sort of a regular person, if you will, um, I feel like I'm the wacko. <laughs> you know, I, I try to share my beliefs um, because I've come to some of these realizations and in part, thanks to you. Um, but, you know, you have these discussions and you, you can't really even go that deep into it because at some point the conversation comes to a halt because you're seen as the, the weirdo, you get ostracized. So... I try not to have too many of these conversations anymore unless I find like-minded people. So Milan, funny that you say this because I, so for the longest time and still today, I, I try to disprove my hypothesis rather than prove it. Because if everybody else does what I just said, then it's like, then, then I might, must be, I must be fallible to that same thing as well. Right. So, so I'm constantly looking for, for evidence against my beliefs and to disprove my hypothesis, including in Bitcoin um, and, and such. But what you, uh, uh, I just want to tie into, and that's actually why Bitcoin is such an asymmetric bet uh, as well, is um, change, phase transition or change like this only comes from the outside. It has to be so different from the existing system it has to be different and that could leave one of two really two one two outcomes you are crazy i am crazy right <laughs> and we you have to you have to say this if are all these people and me crazy like do we actually get it or are we just that early and very few people do and uh and but change like this and, and whether it's Galileo looking up at the night sky and saying, wait, Copernicus was right. <laughs> um, and what that would have looked like in his time against standing up to the church and state, which is a different narrative. If you imagine what that would have looked like, it would have looked very different to what we take for granted today. But change always comes from the outside like that, uh, like that. And that's no different than Bitcoin. And that's what's, that's, what's kind of, I would say, polarizing and enlightening because once you understand it and you're that 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 deep i for me i just said if this is what i think it is 
then then um, if it is the first time in human history that we have decentralization and security together, and if that held throughout time, then my thesis about allowing deflation to happen would be seen by that system. And, and it would change everything in the future that we took for granted in the past. And all the history books that carry the information about who went, won, what, what lost, what, what works, capitalism, communism, all these names of systems that we designed for a different past would look different going forward. And, and it, it, super fascinating, super interesting to, to look at what that would look like. Yeah, absolutely. I had a conversation with Tomer Strolight and um, our, for the most part, actually, our conversation was pretty sort of bleak, depressing. Um, but the, the sort of takeaway from that was that like Bitcoin is this thing that, like you say, it's it's the sort of alternative system. I think I think you call it a bridge sometimes, right? We can yeah, sort of use that bridge, bridge across the other, the other side. And and I mean, I, I concur with that. Like I see it as this tool or this technology that allows us to transition into a world where in a way life gets simpler. Perhaps we go to let's not say the gold standard, but somewhere where money starts to make sense again. And like you said, we can start to measure things appropriately because at this point, um, things like GDP in a way mean nothing. Nothing. It, right? Nothing. But but again, what's in G so so where's the calculator app in your GDP? Where's the Zoom call in GDP? Where's uh, where's Where are all the photos you take in GDP? The point is, technology fault prices falling to the marginal cost of production when the marginal cost of production is a line of code is zero and it isn't in gdp and if you require increasing gdp to be able to pay back insolvent debt then what it means is manipulating the money so more and more things that we need uh, are expensive so oh we don't have bad inflation if you take out housing food and energy like, I can't believe that policymakers would say something as stupid as that. If you take out the, the things people need the most to live, then, then inflation isn't as bad as we think. Like, it's, it, it's so ludicrous. Um, so, but again, that's, that comes from measuring from within a system that ha it's checkmate already. It cannot be saved. There's no chance because... We have increasing productivity that is moving exponentially. It's going to make the debt reset faster, which is going to require more and more easing to pretend that it's uh, that it's solvent. And that easing is wage deflation or savings. Now, it, uh, in your book, you do talk about a number of uh, technological innovations that are driving deflation. Can you just sort of touch very briefly on some of those? What what I would just say is is and I sure I could but uh, the it's broad it's in everything and the truth is I, since writing my book what I realized is this has actually always been the case the free market and and technology innovation has always been deflationary and we've always been in a system that's trying to stop that or 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 and for periods of time we'd be on a gold based system that would put the brakes on it. But then gold would get centralized. We'd go to war to try to, to reset that throughout time. And currency failures are a normal course throughout time. And when technology was moving slower, like in the Roman times, you might have a currency failure every five or 600 years. And now, now if you look at currencies, how fast they fail, it's more like 50 years. Um, and that's going to get faster and faster and faster. Because, uh, because because technology and the free market want to push down prices, and if you try to stop that, it means stopping the thing that's natural in our world. It's the the, the free market will continue to move. It's why Bitcoin exists. It's why the pe people create a free market there. If it's not available here, it's going to create an opportunity that people are going to race over to this new system, and measuring the world by the new system with a fixed denominator means prices are falling forever so here, here here's what you just said in a different way di different way when you meet bitcoiners and they're all feel like you started a level of high integrity kind of love kind of uh versus what you see with with what's happening in the rest of the world your general fear is what's happening in the rest of the world and you're and what's happening is you're giving that energy 
but the people you're meeting and spending time with over in Bitcoin um, and, and how you're seeing house prices fall in Bitcoin and energy prices fall in Bitcoin and all prices falling in Bitcoin, just at different rates, what you're actually, you're already living in the future. William Gibson's quote that uh, future it's or it's just not evenly distributed. Um, you're living in the future of truth, hope, and abundance. And and when I say the bridge to the other side, and, and what you're seeing is more and more of the people that are living in that future, and why people are giving of their time, and and what that's what that that's what human interaction looks like in that future. It's actually really easy to see. It's already here for us. And what we're concerned about with the people that aren't living in that future yet, and and we're worried about them, is what's happening. That's really cool. That's a great way to put it. I never sort of thought about it that way. Um, you know, slowly creeping in. Uh, increasingly, we see AI, uh, Chat GPT, things like that. Um, that's obviously going to be a major sort of proponent towards this deflationary movement. So, how how quickly might this all sort of unravel? So it's going to unravel in different ways in different regions around the world. And, and it's not going to be, um, first of all, anytime you're measuring a system like this, um, it's a nonlinear system and you'll try to listen to people who are saying it's a, they're trying to predict a linear system and other small little changes have massive effects out here. And anybody who says they can predict with exact timing, what that looks like is full of themselves. There's no way uh, you can generally that the trend and what's going to happen, but you can't predict the events that are going to unfold on all of these different events from the existing system. If you're measuring in existing dollars, you will see increasing division. You'll see increasing centralization. You'll see increasing loss of individual rights and freedoms. And you will likely believe that your side of that is the right side and the other person's side that you're looking at, how could they think that? And they'll think the same of you because you're, you're reinforcing that whole thing and the algorithms are reinforcing that and you're just driving control up to, up to the top, the who's closest to the money supply. And that game will be played country over country after over country. And it is going to try to divide countries, citizens in countries against other countries and the looks and, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. If you're measuring in the new system in Bitcoin, and by the way, and in that your real wages are going down and nothing will protect you and houses eventually, like if you think houses, okay, I could store my wealth in houses, like that's worked for the last 30 years of declining interest rates. If you think you can store your wealth in houses, then as a CBDC comes to be able to take that financial control, the next step of the, that the CBDC is pressing a button and redistributing your house to somebody else because it's the only way to pay back the, 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 the debt, the debt can't be repaid. And as you drive distortions and thus versus them, all of the middle class and, uh, and lower class getting poorer and poorer and poorer through their wages and savings getting declined and the super elite class that has all the assets. The next step is to remove that because there's a way bigger majority <laughs> to be able to, uh, to take that and that'd be easier easier to do through cbdc once people are con uh, uh, conducting on that all the while bitcoin will continue and if you're measuring that system it'll do, do, do exactly what i said prices will do, keep declining the innovation is going to continue there more and more business is going to move there onto second and third layers and all of the opportunity that comes on top of essentially a peer-to-peer -peer internet tied to money or tied to energy so it's not tied to physics that you cannot change a ledger that is on an honest ledger tied to energy and all of the innovation that's going to move to there um, and if you're measuring in that system it's going to feel like everything's great we're getting better and better and better each year and you're measuring the other system it's going to get worse inside that inside that change it's going to be erratic depending on which country some countries are going to try to stop this some countries are going to close on ramps some countries are going to accept it some um so i can't say what it's going to look like in it depending on where so, uh, where somebody is but it's going to be volatile 
Um, I will give you a hint, just using using other areas of the world to where where it would go. If you looked at Argentina or Venezuela or Turkey today or or Lebanon today, and you realize that that there's not a hundred percent Bitcoin adoption, then that means when your currency fails or you get rug pulled, there won't be hundred percent Bitcoin adoption here either. What it mean? It, it makes sense, right? So mm-hmm. what it means yeah. is. All of your wages just got in, in Lebanon. Let's use all the banks close, rewrite more zeros on the currency. All of the the savings and wages got t- taken from the entire population. Now wages relative to the world are way lower, and business is going to race in and take advantage of that. And people are going to start over, and say, "Oh, I'm winning again," only to be rug pulled again. And every time that transition happens around the world, more and it's going to create more and more Bitcoiners but it's not going to create a hundred percent Bitcoiners tomorrow. And why? Because our minds don't change fast enough to understand what's happening. We want to believe the existing system. And now the incentives accrue to now my wages versus the world are way lower. And now business comes in and now I can, now I can make a whole bunch of money. And so I suspect that this is going to be a, a, um, a long transition. And when people think Bitcoin hyperization, uh, which will happen, it doesn't matter because it's happening right now. It's happening for anybody who wants to live in that system is already living in that system. There's so much there that I want to sort of unpack or at least come back to in some way. I'm glad you brought up CBDCs. Uh, you know, this is a pretty new show. We haven't talked about those at all. Um, for anybody that doesn't know what a CBDC, it stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. And you've got governments that are, I guess, all over the world that are either re- researching them or they're in development. And they're trying to launch a central bank uh, issued currency. And my sort of two worries is if I own one, it, it'll get shut down. Uh, you know, I might go out and buy a, you know, whatever the food is at the local store. And if somebody at the store doesn't like me, my <laughs> transaction gets canceled. It's either that or my assets get gets frozen. And that's even more terrifying. Um, some of the stuff you just mentioned, like uh, with regards to housing, I'd never even thought of. So, you know, if you weren't terrified of CBDCs already, uh, I think now, now you should be put it that way. Yeah. It's Um, all it is is surveillance disguised as money. It's control disguised as money. It's, it's absolute control disguised as money. That's a really good way to put it. Um, so you, you actually mentioned a couple countries there. Um, Argentina specifically is one that comes to mind for me. Um, actually Lebanon as well, there was that famous story of that woman who, um, she went into a bank with a gun to to, to rob the bank, but it wasn't like she was just taking out money. She was trying to get her own money out of that bank. Um, and it just shows you some of the inherent problems in these systems. Um, you know, I, I know that you're a man who's been fortunate enough to travel around the world quite a bit. So what have you noticed as far as, um, Bitcoin adoption is concerned? How, how is this movement growing? So what I'd start with is this, and I've traveled to 75 countries, maybe more than that, maybe more than that. So I've traveled a lot of different places. And what I would say is everywhere, if you actually get to the people, they're, most people are beautiful people that just want, that want, uh, want a great life for themselves and their families. And so when you actually meet actually people instead of the bullshit that you hear through kind of our lens or their lens those people us people and everything else you see we're all the same we're all we're all virtually the same it doesn't seem like that through their news media but that's that's what it looks like they're just beautiful people all over um what i see in bitcoin is i see in is that i see a 200 300 million person country that's borderless that those people are interacting right now um, and I can interact with them completely outside of the existing system and, and share value back and forth and nothing can stop, stop that. So that's going to get stronger and stronger. One thing about network effects, and I explain network effects in my book, but, and I'm kind of going to go two places on this. The definition of a network effect 
is is when the network gets more valuable for all participants with every new addition to the network. So then it's important differentiation, really important because I think people misunderstand it. So so a, a telephone, think about your old landline telephone. A telephone is a perfect example of a network effect. If I'm one person with a phone, it's useless as it zero value. If Milan, you and I have a phone together, now it has value for both of us. Add a new person, add a new node, every new node makes it more valuable for all nodes. That's so so 65, 70% of all value in technology stocks that are created from uh, from network effects because the internet itself uh, it was it was exactly that. It created more and more nodes, more and more minds all created on top of the internet that that drove that. Now, if you centralize that because of money, so it creates this crazy centralization as well because be, because if you, Google's providing more value, more and more people on it, uh, more people go to it, creates more value. When it gets too big, if you centralize something, it, the network effect doesn't describe what I just said. Each new node, you have to, as a centralized actor, make choices to punish some people and, and favor some people. Make sense? Can you elaborate so, on that a little bit? So let's say let's say Google saying what 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 speech is valid and what speech is not valid. And I'm going to remove this in favor of this because or I'm going to give this an algorithm boost because mm -hmm. this is more important to my company or my advertising model than this. That makes sense. Right. So so once you centralize a, a, up, then the network effect starts to break down. You could say the same thing for Google. You could say the same thing for Facebook, all of these, but you could also say the same thing for the US dollar because it has to choose. So the US, US dollar favored for a long time, G70, the countries that it favored at the mm -hmm. expense of the periphery. And you revalue these currencies, we can buy their labor and materials really cheap to be able to fu uh, fund this. But as more and more entry into this, say China, it gets harder and harder to do. And you have to start sacrificing first the periphery and then the core. And so the US dollar is undergoing that right now in making choices to, to try to defend that. And as the network effect starts to reverse. And so that's that's happening alongside this. And now you have Bitcoin, which, and, and why I said that specifically is, what if a network effect could go on forever? Um, because in Bitcoin, the network effect doesn't drive centralization, it drives decentralization. So the all new nodes get, make that stronger and stronger and stronger in favor of humanity. Because, because what it means is all of the economic action on there constantly innovates to be able to bring prices down real prices down everywhere and it's measuring that real price uh, uh, coming down and it doesn't centralize like uh, uh, like the existing systems so now you carry that for how powerful that is and, and, and why i specifically use that example when you said in regions in some of these regions in the world in tiny little pockets bitcoin has broad adoption like bitcoin beach it's a circular economy and and in el salvador in regions in el salvador well not everywhere in el salvador in regions you can use it way more now network effects if if you're the only one who has bitcoin and there's only one vendor in town that takes bitcoin then the vendor probably won't take bitcoin for very long because nobody comes to their store and cares and so network effects like this typically happen on a localized region as more and more people take it, more and more people use on the other side and it becomes stronger and stronger. And so that's what you're seeing these, because Bitcoin is global, it's a global payment rail, it's a global decentralized network. You're seeing pockets of innovation and you're seeing pockets of, of, of these communities drive up and in those pockets, super powerful. Um, and if you're in one of the first world countries, or if you're in Canada or US, and you, you've always had access to payment rails and banking and everything else, and your system has been more stable in some of those regions, then you're, you're likely to be biased 
to not believe this is as 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 important an innovation it is, and it's a bottom up innovation. So that I suspect this is going to be the greatest wealth transfer the world's ever seen, from have countries to have not countries, because it it's it just like so technology is always a bottom up innovation, and it's very rare that they that the, the, the technology leader at the time or the company leader at the time, if we use Blockbuster Netflix as an example, or Kodak and, 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 and Photos Today as an example, the monopoly rarely sees what's coming because it's not in their interest to see what's coming. And then, and then what it happens is it, it's used by the people who need it most and, they're innovate, and they start innovating on it and it becomes more and more popular and it's a bottom up and, it, and that drives that network effect more and more nodes that, that, that once once it starts can't be stopped. That's what's happening. So what you're describing sounds like a obviously a very positive thing for the world. And I think sometimes we almost make it sound utopian in nature. And yes, it has all of these, um, you know, we have this saying Bitcoin fixes this. And I think it does fix so many things. Um, I think all of us need to be careful to to not, you know, make people assume that it's going to fix everything, that we will never have warfare, that uh, poverty will never exist. But I think what you're getting at is that it can help lift people up. The, the economic division that we see, whether it's within a city or country to country, I think that divide shrinks. And I think we just get more equity across the board, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So I'm probably further along, it fixes just about everything. In I don't normally say that. Uh, uh, it, it, maybe this is first on my on a podcast. I, I say it closely because if you in, if you realize what it means in time, it does. Um, but but by just saying that, you tune out most people who don't understand how important how important this is. And so uh, so so then then oh yeah it fixes it fixes it, it just turns into an attack vector so but but if if you realize how human action is is around trading and what money is in the beginning is allow you to trade right it's allowed you it's allowed you to divide your work to accomplish more knowing that somebody else will do the work that you need so that your life so that all of us win together because we're all connected globally. Every single one of us is connected globally. So if you're actually taking people out and saying they don't matter from this because those people's labor doesn't matter, so we can get cobalt, so so our our, our cars run here really well. So what we have to do to uh, to our electric cars, but to do that we have to buy cobalt at two dollars an hour for for their labor, and extract it from somewhere somewhere else in the world for our lifestyle we don't see that cost on on people then these things th these things get way worse um in inside this uh inside this new system you have to, it, you literally have prices declining on everything forever that's hard to imagine i mean i i understand it but to envision that is next to impossible at least for me because again because we're wrapped up in the system because you're measuring everything from a different system. And so you ask you, it's simple. Why do eggs cost more today than they did 50 years ago? We have more technology in eggs. It's just a hen lay, right? It's just, <laughs> so why, uh, we have- It's not a better egg. It's, it's an egg. Like, why does it cost more, right? The, we have better distribution. We have more technology. We have, more, we have better ways to uh, feed it. So it should cost way less. Why does it cost more? Only one reason because we make it cost more. And then we make people work harder and harder and harder on a treadmill to make prices go up because we can't imagine a different system where prices come down. Come down. It shouldn't look like that. It should look like prices keep falling um, and uh, um, for forever. And when entrepreneurs can't make any more money in that, like an entrepreneur can't make money by selling oxygen to you right now, you would laugh at if somebody said, "I'm going to here. I have an idea. I'm going to bring people around oxygen masks um, and give uh, give them oxygen." You you wouldn't fund that idea. Why? Because it's free. Is your life any worse because of the free oxygen? No. 
<laughs> exactly. It's kind of better. <laughs> so the point is, as artificial intelligence and robotics move move into our food systems, and also and 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 drive that to free, as well or close to free and then free, and and that decentralizes around, so you don't have these massive track farming to protect a city that's protected by because it can't fail. And you have to drive pesticide use to be able to make sure that it can't fail and everything else. The the actual system in the world heals by a function that what I'm talking about, the prices keep on, keep on falling. These things will be free. It reminds me of a conversation. It, it, I, sorry, measured in Bitcoin. <laughs> reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody uh, close to me, actually, just maybe a week ago. Um, I, I think I had asked the question, like, is inflation necessary? And I think the, the point was brought up when people are working, <clears throat> there is, I guess we all expect that every year or every couple of years, our wages are going to go up. But if you are doing the exact same job, literally the exact same task, why, why is it necessary for your income to go up? Like, So, so it's necessary of the, out of the existing situation. Here, here's why. It, it's simple, simple way to understand it. It's a simple way to explain it to others. If there's 8 billion people in the world and 8 billion monetary units, and you and Milan, you have two of those monetary units, and I have one of those monetary units. Um, and then, and then, magically, there's 16 billion instead of 8 billion monetary units. But you don't look at the ledger; you just look at your money. Then, unless your two went to four, you lost money. But your two going to three, you'd think you're winning. Well, you still were losing money. That's yep. why. It's a, it's a giant parlor trick. Now extend that instead of, instead of talking about billions, which we can barely get our mind around, extend that to trillions and 400 trillion, and you realize the parlor trick has massive consequences. That's what's, ha that's, that's what's happening. And so everyone, every single person measuring through that system is, is, there's no way they could possibly do the economic calculation on every price. It's impossible. And so what's, what's happening in the other system is it's doing it for them. It's just, it's, so one system is losing money with volatility, mm -hmm. right? And one system is gaining, gaining value with volatility. They're mirror images. I'm having that sort of like mind blowing moment in my head right now, which is very much like the second or third time I read your book. Like, honestly, uh, your book and the Bitcoin standard, I think I've said this to people on the show, like gave me a complete paradigm shift. And it's, it's that like aha moment you have where you go like, okay, the system that we currently live in is very flawed, screwed, I would say. Um, and we're lucky in that we have this technology that you and I are both living through we get to see its emergence. We get to see it thrive and grow. And uh, <clears throat> honestly, I, I think we need to be um, sort of proud and, and take it with some humility. Um, but I'm just so excited to see like where this thing goes because it's, oh. it's so freaking cool. So you you mentioned talking to Tom Tomer and like what a fantastic human being and everything else. I, I can't believe though when you said that he isn't um, when it was dark or whatever. I'm. I'm super optimistic. I can't believe I get to do what I get to do each day with the people I get to, to, to do that with. Um, we, we, what I see in Bitcoin is, is the most intelligent, compassionate, most integrity people that I've seen um, all building towards something that is uh, for the benefit of all of us. Um, it's it's incredible. Yes, there will be fights within this and everything else, but that's actually what a free free market is required to do. It's required to have different opinions. It's required to to attack things that it doesn't uh, doesn't believe in, and it doesn't mean one person's right or the other or other person's right. But that that decentralized secure model that puts is in favor for all of us that we can't change the rules. Is there, there can't be a better time to be alive. It's incredible. I agree with you. So I will just say, so Tolmer himself, super, like, totally positive guy. It was just kind of the nature of our discussion. We we kind of discussed on sort of the nihilism that currently exists within people oh. and, and all of the separation among people, the divisiveness and things like that, that, you know, we both recognize, but 
but the, again, at the end of the day, we have this thing that we can sort of turn to and sort of helps uplift all of us. So, yeah, yeah I think that's, um, the, 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 that's the point. Everyone out needs to see it in their own and, and the way they come into it. It is is less about Bitcoin and more about their view, right? Each person finds it through their own uh, through their own way, and they kind of see at least at first they see a piece of the network from their own view. It's almost a mirror reflecting back their own beliefs rather than than what uh, what it is. It's just it, it's an honest ledger. What would uh, what would humanity look like on top of an honest ledger versus what would humanity look like on, on top of a dishonest ledger? Right. The reason I started this podcast was essentially to give people that aha moment to help them um, in, in understanding what this technology is um, as an educator, sorry, as an educator, you know, I understand that concepts can be difficult, especially if you don't have the vocabulary. So I, I try to bring people on here to make things relatable, to give them sort of bite-sized chunks and things. And that's why, you know, we started off this thing with you defining what deflation is because if people don't know what that word is, I feel like they, they kind of get lost in all of the, um, the jargon, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just inc incredible. Some of the stuff I've learned over these years, I've only been in the space for probably two and a half years, but I've, I could say I've probably learned and grown more as an individual in the last couple of years than I have in, I mean, certainly all the years I was in university, but way beyond that too. It's, it's like I'm a new person. <laughs> It's a forcing function. Uh, that's actually why I say that some of the smartest people I know are in this space, because you have to be, you have to have a massive curiosity and, and openness to, to be wrong, to, to admit, okay, this, this is something I thought was true before and an ability to change your mind, to be able to keep going in this, in this space. Yeah, you have to be open to criticism. You have to be open to changing your views because that's how you grow as an individual. Yeah. Um, and it, otherwise, you stay stagnant and it really doesn't get you anywhere, does it? Um, last question I have for you. What aspect of Bitcoin uh, do you feel like just isn't talked enough about, whether it's in podcasts and videos, it just among people that you talk to? Is there something that you've sort of noticed in the space that just doesn't get enough attention? Uh not really um I, I, the there's there's such a broad diverse number of uh, kind of different takes on this from the security model to, to uh all, to the impact to overall where society is going um if i were to say something it would be um how few people actually understand this and, and or, or have done the work to be able to understand this at the at the depth of where this takes us and and how it, it, it's so easy once you do once you understand it to almost create a polarization of group uh, of against a group that doesn't that in group out group bias these people are the great people those people are the bad people so it's just as e if that's if that's easy for us to do as humans everywhere then it's also easy to do in in bitcoin and i see that in bitcoin in the in in the community uh, that in group out group bias instead of just realizing we're all people on this planet we're all connected um and those the, the people that don't understand this yet it's just eventually they will whatever path they take but eventually they're going to to un, un, un understand it and if you treated it that, that way you'd meet them where they were instead of where you are there was one question I meant to ask you. I totally forgot. What do you think is sort of the biggest hurdle to really to sort of getting the Westerners like like ourselves uh, into Bitcoin? Like you know, both of us are in it, obviously. Um, but you know, we're fortunate. We live in, in countries <laughs> currency <that> are... failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like you know, we do. Yes, we deal with inflation. But what is it? Five percent, ten percent, whatever the number is that gets printed, anyways. It's doable, right? We can manage. We have freedom. We're allowed to criticize politicians and not get arrested for it and put away without anybody knowing where we are. So, you know, we live pretty good lives. There's a reason why people move to countries like Canada and the United States. So, what is it that's going to be the catalyst to to really bring people in? Is it hyperinflation? So, so like I said, in Argentina, there's not a hundred percent Bitcoiners. So that's not going to be a catalyst to bring all Bitcoiners as well. In fact, there's a whole bunch of people will, which will harden in their views saying, I told you it's those rich corporations 
doing this. So we're going to elect somebody to redistribute that. We're going to elect a more socialist government to do that. So, so they will they will take a look at the data, not objectively. They will look at the data to confirm their previous bias. So that's why I said this is going to take a long time to be able to play out because most people will fall into that trap. And meeting people where they are rather than where you are gives an increased um, opportunity to for them to start to understand so it's just as we but it's it's up to each one of us the faster we move uh, i'll use something i've said numerous times i knew this for a long time uh, i wrote a book uh, or I, I wrote a book and then i realized that after the book that uh, well bitcoin i thought at the end of the book that could be a path what i realized over time it's, it's probably the only path that gets us to the other side or it's the best path that gets us to the other side. It takes a, 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 so, but then even after that, I was doing a lot of these podcasts and I was, do, uh, and I had, uh, I had this, a certain portion of my wealth in Bitcoin. I was understood where I was measuring the world in Bitcoin. So I understood all this stuff and I was teaching other people, but 95%, 90, 95% of my time was on boards in the existing system and the existing financial system. And I was spending most of my time there and I realized, huh, I'm a hypocrite. Um, I'm talking about this, yet I'm not spending my more, most important resource, my time, activating it. So I changed that. And that's why we created uh, EgoDef, uh, EgoDef Capital. So I could invest on top of the best entrepreneurs and, and who's build, uh, the people that are building the rails of adding value in a different way than just teaching, in, in embedding this into products that we'll use to be able to give value to our lives. And that and, and those products that we're going to use and the, 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 what we're going to use on top of these rails are going to bring way more people on than just telling people about it. And so, so I, I shifted my time and my energy into the system more fully. And I would say for anybody who's thinking about this and still where I might've been two years ago, it was the best thing I could have ever done. I, like, it's almost something you do for free. It's so, so rewarding to spend time with the, these entrepreneurs and, and what they're building and what's, uh, and what's happening and to be able to see what's coming and what that, and, and what's happening. And now that's creating an ecosystem of more and more jobs and more and more opportunities and more and more, more and more value through what, what they, what this, what the free market is doing on top of the system. So it's massively rewarding. And I think now's a great time to be doing this, um, you know, during, the bull market is all of this hype and people end up talking about just crypto more broadly, but it's, it's hard to say kind of what stage we're in right now. I would say we're sort of like at the tail end of the bear market, but bear markets are when you see the real Bitcoiners, right? There's, there's no more noise. It's pure signal. And uh, if, you know, I keep hearing the same thing, right? It's the best time to be building. So yeah, I I'm in complete agreement with you. That that's partly why I chose to do this podcast when I did, because I knew that the people that I would reach out to are people that are going to give me like real honest answers that understand Bitcoin and really kind of what it stands for. Yeah. Yeah. Builders build. And, uh, and remember 1989 was the, the dawn of the internet as we know it, which H with HTTP TCP, which would TCP IP, which was developed by DARPA in the late sixties, um, would be the base layer of that. Um, and, and if you think about that time difference before 1989, and then what happened, the iPhone was 2007, right? Think about what it took by the time that that stack, that technology stack was able to be built on by entrepreneurs. And then what happened to be able to deliver value to society and it exploded on top of that. And it got faster and faster and faster on top of that. That's what's happening right now. So Bitcoin if, is an example. So it makes perfect sense if Bitcoin, the, the security model of Bitcoin, it decentralizes and, and secure, but it sacrificed transaction speed by being Bitcoin. So that means all you could do for, for 10 years, uh, nine years, is hold it and get rich in, and, and do nothing. It just, it, it just hold it. Um, and then inside that, it would make perfect sense where a whole bunch of people were getting rich by just holding it. 
and a market said, wait, let's create the new better Bitcoin and we'll get rich too. It makes perfect sense why all of this other nonsense emerged. Um, and then once once done, other people were trying to promote their things to be able to, to create all that noise. It also makes perfect sense why it all will go to zero um, because decentralization and security was, was a feature. The slow transaction speed um, on layer one was a feature, not a bug. And it, it, but, but protocols develop in layers and the next layer in lightning opened up a wave of innovation that is just happening now. And then entrepreneurs are reaching in and saying, wait, now that it can do this and this and this um, it creates a new wave of innovation. And that's that we're really early in that. Um, but tremendously exciting. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Jeff. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug yourself a little bit here. So where can people find you? What them, uh, What do you want them to know about you? <laughs> no need. Um, the, <laughs> I would say the only important thing, say this on all the podcasts now, if you're looking for me, first look at, uh, at jeffbooth.ca. And that's my, it's, it's my website. And the reason I say that is there's just so many scammers that any, any if I'm on uh, my Noster ID is there, my Twitter, or my Twitter ID is there. And if it's not on that website, um, then it is not me. Okay, good to know. Uh, you want to leave us with one final thought? Any piece of advice? Got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been enlightening. Uh, please do yourself a favor. If you haven't read Jeff's book, Price of Tomorrow, even if you have to read it twice, it will, it will change the game. Right. It's going to blow your mind. You're going to have that aha moment like I did. And uh, you just you kind of see the world differently. It's like taking the pill in the matrix. <laughs> so thank, thank you so much, Joe. Thanks, Milan. You're welcome.